Well, good morning. We're going to continue on through our out-of-the-box Christmas series. And um, just going back a little bit, kind of going back to where we've been and taking us to where we are today. Um, the first week of our out-of-the-box Christmas series, we talked about um, expectation. Um, we talked about the fact that we need to expect God to show up in this Christmas season. Um, God with us, Emmanuel, God wants to show up and work in our lives this Christmas season. And so the expectation, and I hope you've been there with us, I hope you're tracking right along. Um, I don't know about you guys, but as I'm, as I'm working through this, like I'm feeling it and I'm living it. And so expect God to show up. I want God to show up this Christmas season. Last week we talked about the fact that when God shows up, Usually, God shows up in out-of-the-box, extraordinary, miraculous ways. And so expect God to show up this Christmas season, but understand that when God shows up, usually God shows up in miraculous, extraordinary ways. Which brings us to this morning. And this morning, we're talking about how God stretches us. When God shows up and God works in miraculous ways, it usually stretches us. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I, I don't really like being stretched that much. It's not a comfortable thing. Think about it. Have you ever been taken outside of your comfort zone? Have you ever been stretched by something? How did you respond to it? Turn to, turn to the person next to you and tell them how you respond to being stretched. Lots of laughter. I don't, I don't do well with it. Uh, we as humans, we, we like comfort. We like control. We're not made to be stretched necessarily. We don't handle that well. And so I'm going to have Sarah and Caroline come up um, real quick. They're my helpers this morning. And, and they're going to um, open a gift this morning, our out-of-the-box Christmas. We're going to take something out of the box. That's kind of heavy. What could it be? What is it? It's that, it's what? <laughs> oh, she knows. It's Stretch Armstrong. Here, I'll take that pen back. Uh, yeah, I'll take the box too. That's fine. Yeah, you're right. It's Stretch Armstrong. Do you know what this guy's all about? Okay, well, let's watch a video. We got a video about Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> all right, so Stretch Armstrong. Apparently, Stretch Armstrong is used to being stretched. That's what he's created for. Go ahead, stretch him. You guys, did you guys know about Stretch Armstrong? How many of you had a Stretch Armstrong growing up? Anyone? Okay, I think Stretch Armstrong, really stretch it. Come on, get into it. Yeah, pull it, pull it as far as you can. Let's go. Tie him in knots. That's what he's made for. All right, so I think Stretch Armstrong was around in like the late 70s, early 80s. When were you guys born? 2000. Oh, my word. Okay. All right, take Stretch Armstrong and go. The 2000s. Thank you very much. Can you give them a hand? They, they did good. The 2000s. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm not old. I wasn't out of high school when you guys were born. <laughs> okay. Um, we're not meant to be stretched. We don't like to be stretched. Stretch Armstrong is made to be stretched. But, but we as humans do not like to be stretched. If you were to pull my arms like that, it wouldn't go so well. Or, and we're not just talking about physical stretching, but we're talking about being taken out of our comfort zone. 
We like comfort. We like control. I was thinking about um, a conversation I had this summer with my dad. It was on our, on our trip to family vacation, and we were just talking about um, our past and how God has moved in our past. And, um, and I, I remember um, being a pastor's kid. My dad became a youth pastor at Springdale Church of the Nazarene about 15 minutes from here um, when I was two years old. And so from when I was born until I was seven years old, I lived here. Actually, we lived in Westchester right over by the old Lakota school. And, um, and when I was seven years old, I, I loved it here. I had great friends here. I had three friends that I was really close to here. One of them's here today, Andy Dunn. He's a good friend of mine. Um, another one of them is a, a guy that lived up the street from me, Ryan Betcher, that I would go play with almost every day. We'd play baseball and all that stuff. And then I had a friend named Ryan Hall who went to Springdale Church. And, and a lot of times I'd go over to his house on Sunday afternoons. And so I had good friends here. It's everything I knew. I was seven years old. And Dad got the call to go be a pastor in Texas. And so, you know, three kids, we pack up and we move to Arlington, Texas. And I'm going to be honest with you. That stretched me. And, and, and you know me. I'm a pretty emotional guy. It was a difficult move for me. I didn't want to leave Cincinnati. I didn't want to leave Westchester. I didn't want to leave my best friends and move all the way across the country. But we did. And, and so I, we got to Texas, and, um, and one morning they decided that they would let me sing a solo in church. And, and so, of course, being, you know, the young, emotional kid that I was, I chose to sing the song, Friends Are Friends Forever. Do you guys remember that song? Okay, and you guys know me pretty well at this point. You've seen me break down and cry plenty. And I chose, within a year or so of moving from Cincinnati to Texas and leaving my friends, I chose to sing a song called Friends Are Friends Forever. And you can imagine how that went. I made it, I don't know how long I made it into the song, maybe 30 seconds before I just lost it, and I couldn't sing anymore, and I was crying, and I was a basket case, and I haven't sang up front since by myself. So, so there's that. It was hard. I'm not used to being stretched. And so we moved to Texas, and, and it stretched me. And then when I was in eighth grade, I, I, I began to love Texas. I made a lot of good friends in Texas. We had a good church. I loved everything about it. And, and, and then when I was in eighth grade, Dad took a church in Nashville. And so we had to pack up our stuff and move from Texas to Nashville. Now in Texas, we had a youth group that was really awesome. It was a really sports-oriented youth group. Like every week after church, we'd have a bunch of guys together playing basketball in the gym, and we had a, a lot of really good basketball players. And it was just a, a great thing for me because I'm a sports freak. I'm a sports fan. And we got to Nashville, and our first event in Nashville was a teen lock-in. And Robert and I walked into the gym of this teen lock-in, and what do we see? We see three or four guys wearing flannel shirts with, like, pieces of grass hanging out of their mouth. I mean, it's what you would think moving to Tennessee would be. It was, like, typical. And we're thinking, what happened? This, this isn't what we're used to. We went from, like, the athletic sports youth group to kind of farmer-looking youth group. And it was, it was a stretch for us. And, and we were there from when I was in eighth grade until I went to college. And I went to Treveca there in Nashville and was in school. And then after my first year at Treveca, my parents accepted the call to come to this church. 
And so my parents that lived 10 minutes down the road from me at Treveca were kind of my support system. They did all my laundry. Um, they, you know, I could go get food anytime I wanted. And all of a sudden, they moved away. And once again, it stretched me. I'm not good at that. In none of those circumstances did I want to pack up and leave and go somewhere else, but God was calling my father to follow his will and to pack up and move, and we did it. And I didn't want to, and it was hard, but, but the conversation my dad and I were having this summer was that I wouldn't change a thing about that time. I wouldn't change a thing about any of those moves. I loved it here. But I loved it in Texas, and I made some great friends. And, and I didn't want to move from there, but in Nashville, I, we had some great times and some great friends and a great church. And I didn't want my parents to leave there and come here, but man, I, I met my wife here. My, my sister met her husband here. And, and when I look back and when I step back, I just said, Dad, you know, I didn't want to move any of those times. I didn't want to be stretched outside of my comfort zone. But God had it all under control the whole time, and in the end, it was all for the best. We don't like to be stretched. We're not Stretch Armstrong. We're not built for that. But oftentimes, God works through stretching us. When God works outside of the box, as we're talking about outside of the box, when God works outside of the box and miraculously, oftentimes it calls us outside of our comfort zone. It stretches us. And so as we're talking about expect God to show up, and God's going to show up and work outside of the box and work miraculously, guess what? It's going to take us outside of our comfort zone. It's going to stretch us. So last week we looked at a couple stories. We looked at the story of the angel coming to Mary, and last week we were talking about the miraculous side of this, God's working miraculously and outside of the box, and I paralleled that with another story, and that was the story of me finding out that I was going to have a fourth child, Jack. And let me clear something up. I've had a couple people say we thought you might be announcing something last week, and I am not announcing anything like that, all right? If I did, uh, Megan would have to go to a, a home somewhere, or an, an asylum, and, uh, and we'd probably have to go back to high school and watch some videos that we must have missed. But um, we are not having a fifth kid, okay? We're not. But we talked about God's miraculous work, and then we, I, I kind of paralleled that with the story of, of me finding out we were going to have a fourth child, and we talked about how children are miracles from God. And every one of the times my kids were born, it was miraculous. God did something amazing. And children, if you're a parent in here, nod with me and say, yes, children are miraculous. They're gifts from God. But here's the other side of that. Children stretch us. Children stretch us. They change everything. Now nod your head with me if you're a parent and say, yes, they change everything. They change our schedules. They change our habits. They change what we think about. I mean, if, if we could go back like 10 years of our life and we had a free night, like we would be thinking, what can we go do on this free night? And now if we have a free night, it's like, can we go to sleep yet? Is it, is it acceptable to go to sleep now? Can we just sit here and, and be comfortable? They change our habits. They change our houses. 
When, when we moved here, we bought a house right over um, past the cone over there. And I remember the realtor called me one day and she said, I think I found your house. We need to go look at it. We had actually been out looking at houses all day, and I came back, but then I got a call about 30 minutes later, and she said, listen, I just got back to my office, and I found your house, so come meet me at this house. And I said, okay. So I met her at this house, and I'm walking through it, and when I walked into the basement of my current house, I knew it was my house. We have this awesome, huge, finished room in the basement, and one of the things that we were looking for was an area to entertain and to hang out, and this basement just, like, sold me on the house. Like, this is it. This is my house. And so then I called Megan, and Megan came to the house and looked at it, and sure enough, it was our house. But I I said to Megan, I said, okay, you know, we had Eli at the time, and I said, um, you know, this is our house, and I love this basement, and this is perfect for entertaining, But one thing that I would ask is that we didn't keep toys and kids' things down here. Because I want this to be a good hangout space. And so, if you were to come over to my house today, and you were to look into my basement, you would realize that I lost that battle, as as it was inevitable that it would happen. But, But... Children change everything, especially when you have four of them. They take over your house, they take over your schedule, they take over your sleep patterns. We have a kid in our bed almost every night at some point. You don't sleep as well. Children stretch us. And so last week we talked about the miraculous side of Mary being with child and the baby, the Christ that is the God child that, that Mary was, was conceived with. And now this week I want to talk about how this stretches us. I want to talk about Joseph's side of this story. And so we're going to be looking into Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And I want you to be thinking as I'm reading this scripture, what would Joseph, what would be going on in Joseph's head as this is happening? So here it goes. Verse 18 said, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. When when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus. So we saw Mary's side of this. We saw kind of last week we were talking about the, what? I'm going to have a baby? This isn't possible type thing. But this week we're looking at it from Joseph's perspective. And if you're thinking about what Joseph is thinking when he finds out that Mary, he is engaged to be, to be married to Mary. <laughs> He's engaged to be married to Mary. Go ahead, say it. I'm a rapper today. Um, so, so what do we see? He's, let's say he's pledged to be married and, and, and so we know in that time that what that means is that they were in this time of engagement, but, but really what it means is they were honestly thought of to be already married. However, they lived separately, and they did not have relations. And so we see that they were engaged 
to be married. And the second thing we see is that she's found to be pregnant. That's a problem, right? Like, you get that, right? That's a problem. He, they were engaged to be married, but they weren't living together. And, the, and, and in that day, that stuff didn't happen before they actually ended up getting married. And so he, she's found to be pregnant. And, and Joseph, that's a problem. Have you ever, this happens to Megan and I all the time. Hopefully, we're not too abnormal. But have you guys ever had a dream at night, and um, like a dream about your spouse, and then you wake up the next morning, and you're still kind of mad about it, even though it was just a dream and it was all fake? Have you guys ever had that happen? This happens to me quite a bit. And I don't know what that means about our marriage, or please don't psychoanalyze us. But like, I'll have a dream, and I'll think that something's happening, and it's not reality, but I'll wake up, and I'll be kind of mad at Megan, and then I have to snap out of it and realize, like, that was just a dream. And it happens to her, too. But imagine, Joseph, this isn't just a dream. He finds out that the girl he's pledged to be married to is pregnant. And that's not right. That's not good. And so what, what's Joseph's response? Joseph's response is that he plans to divorce her quietly. The only way out of that engagement period or their, their marriage, as we talked about they were considered to be married, would be through divorce. And so Joseph, because it was not okay that, she found out, that he found out she was pregnant, was going to divorce her quietly. And, and so we see that Joseph's initial reaction is to pull away. But then an angel comes. And an angel convinces him that this is God's work, that Mary hasn't done anything wrong, and this isn't a shameful thing, but this is God working outside of the box miraculously. And the angel convinces Joseph not to divorce her and to be obedient. And so Joseph obeys. And so as we see in the story, I think this is a completely natural human reaction. As we see in the story, Joseph's first reaction to this news that Mary was going to have a baby was to pull away or to separate himself. It was not a graceful, peaceful reaction, but one that, i got to get out of this situation. This isn't right. But then the angel shows up, and what happens? Joseph is stretched. Joseph is taken outside of his comfort zone. What he wanted to do, what his natural inclination to do, he learned otherwise. And God said, no, this is what needs to happen. And Joseph was stretched. And God worked in his life. The Christmas story is a story of peace. As we're together in this Christmas season, we celebrate peace. We celebrate love. We celebrate hope. But we also see in the Christmas story that in order for the peace to come to earth, in order for all of this to happen, people have to be stretched. People have to be taken outside of their comfort zone. And so here's the truth today. The peace and hope that we celebrate this Christmas season does not come without struggle. The peace and hope that we celebrate this Christmas season, it's all the warm and fuzzies and it's all good and that is what this season is about, but it doesn't come without struggle. Why is that? Why does peace not come without struggle? Well, it's because our hearts aren't naturally geared towards peace. It's because we are not naturally people of peace. Can I just be really honest with you? I don't always have the most graceful peaceful response, and, and, and the, the way I respond to things is not always naturally peaceful and graceful. 
My heart is not always perfectly at peace. My natural inclination is not to be graceful and peaceful in every situation, but sometimes I want to fight, and I want chaos, and I want struggle. Our hearts aren't, aren't naturally inclined for peace. And, and in fact, um, um, Tim Keller wrote a book called The Hidden Christmas, and in it, one of the things he said is that if the God of Christmas is the one true God, no one will truly seek Him unless our hearts are supernaturally changed to want to seek Him. In other words, we do not naturally have an inclination towards peace and letting others, someone else, control us. We have a natural inclination to selfishness and want control and want to not be stretched. It's our heart. It's my heart. I think about that a lot. I'm Pastor Bob's son. He's the most peaceful man I know. I don't know where it went. It skips a generation, apparently. Because my first reaction isn't always peace and grace. I'm not saying the Christmas story causes a... uh, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. Peace rarely comes without struggle and conflict. And so our heart's natural inclination is not toward peace. And so if peace on earth is coming, peace rarely comes without struggle and conflict. Think about it. Think about peace. Think about what has to happen in order for peace to happen. Sometimes it's wars. Sometimes it's conflict and arguments. Sometimes I think of the civil rights movement and all the things that had to happen. There had to be a struggle. There had to be conflict in order for us to come to peace. Because our hearts aren't naturally inclined for peace, there's a struggle in order for peace to come. There's a couple good illustrations that Keller uses. He uses two in particular. One is a therapist. And he says if you go to a therapist and you have something going on with you, a struggle in your life, what, a therapist doesn't just snap their fingers or wave their hands and use the force and heal you. What happens? You have to dig into what the trouble is. You have to go to the dark place in order to find peace and light and hope. The second example he uses is a surgeon. How many of you have had surgery before? Okay, if you have something wrong with your body, if you have um, something wrong with your knee or your shoulder or, or something's wrong with you and you, you go to a surgeon, the surgeon doesn't snap his fingers and say, there you go. The surgeon doesn't use the force and wave his arm or do whatever and say, you're healed. You usually don't go to Benny Hinn and he doesn't hit you in the head. If you go to a surgeon, they're going to do surgery on you. In order for your body to heal, they have to go in and cause some pain and some struggle and some chaos and then you're healed. And so for peace on earth to come, we have struggle. Think about it. If we needed a Savior to come and bring peace on earth, if we needed a Savior to come save us, that means that we were broken. That means that we are broken. That means that this world is broken. And so if the world is broken and God has to come to bring peace, then there's going to be struggle. And the peace that that baby brings will only come as God stretches us, as God changes us, as God works in our lives. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the story of Simeon and the expectation. We talked about it from the the standpoint of expectation and him expecting the baby to come, the Messiah to come. But if we look in Luke chapter 2, verses 34 to 35, it says this. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling 
and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Do you hear that? This is the guy that's been waiting all this time for the Savior and the Messiah to come, and he takes baby Jesus in his arms, and, he's, and, and he gives this prophecy. That doesn't sound like peace. That doesn't sound like everything's all hunky-dory and everything's nice, and it's just it's a perfect, like, silent night thing. This is struggle. This is stretching. There's going to be stretching. It's going to cause the rising and falling of many. It's going to reveal the hearts. Keller points this out in his book as well. Nobody in Scripture is indifferent to the Savior. Think about that. Nobody in Scripture is indifferent to the Savior. In the Christmas story, we see some people that come long from, from long distances and journey for miles and give up things because they want to worship the Savior. But we see other people that want to get rid of the Savior. They're not open to the change. They don't want what the Savior brings. They want control. They want their own power. We see King Herod who wants his own power. And so throughout Scripture, throughout the history of Scripture, you see over and over again that people are not indifferent to the Savior. People are not indifferent to Jesus. They either worship him with everything they have or they're totally against him. The Christmas story is not a story of indifference. The Christmas story is not a story that we can just sit back and say, yeah, it's all good, that guy was cool. The Christmas story is a radical, miraculous, out-of-the-box story of change. And if we want to experience the peace on earth that this Savior brings, then we have to be willing to be stretched. We're going to be stretched. We're going to be called outside of our comfort zone. We may be called to do something that we don't understand. We may be called, we will be called, to be agents of peace on earth. And so the baby came to bring peace. But we have a part in this. Christmas means that, with God, with, that peace with God is readily available. And when you make peace with God, you can make peace with those around you. So the story of the coming Savior means that we can be at peace with God, but it also means that we are then called to be at peace with those around us. And, and I would add this, to be an agent of peace or to be an instrument of peace in a broken world. This means we've got to get over ourselves. This means we've got to get over our selfishness. It means we've got to give up control. It means that natural inclination to fight or get yours or, or stand up to people or do whatever. We have to be changed. And we have to become a people of peace. We cannot, as followers of Christ, sit around and celebrate God with us or peace on earth while we're not being a people of peace and hope. We have to live out God's peace and hope in our lives. Don't you get it? That's part of the problem, is the church too often talks about the peace and hope, but we're not living it. We're not a people of peace and hope, and we've got to be changed and stretched by God to be a people of hope and to be an instrument of peace in the world around us. 
God wants to stretch us. God wants to show up. God wants to work miraculously. And God wants to change us. We cannot celebrate Christmas this season and celebrate the peace and celebrate the Savior without allowing the Savior to change us and to stretch us. Here's the thing, as I look around today, I see a lot of people that I believe God wants to change, that God wants to be instruments of peace. Each one of you has people in your lives that are going through chaos. Maybe you work at a place where there's just chaos. Maybe you go to family gatherings and there's chaos in your family. Maybe you have friends down the street or neighbors that that are living in chaos. Maybe you go to school and, and there's just chaos. And I believe that God, this Christmas season, wants to show up and work miraculously. But I believe that God wants to stretch us and wants to change us so that we can be instruments of peace in the world around us. Is it possible that God wants to stretch you to become an instrument of peace on earth today? Or in this Christmas season? I'm going to be honest with you. I want to be stretched. After last night, I sat down and I was reading through this and working through it again. And and for about an hour, I had an awesome time of worship. Where I said, God, stretch me. Get me out of my comfort zone. Take away that ugly inclination in my heart for chaos and make me a person of peace. Change me, Lord. Stretch me. I don't want to celebrate Christmas and just go through the motions. I want God to show up and I want God to work miraculously and I want to be changed and stretched by God. So as we continue this out-of-the-box Christmas... We encounter God. We celebrate God with us. We expect God to show up. And we want God to show up miraculously. We don't want a small piece of God. We don't want a watered-down version of God. I want God in all of His fullness and all of His glory. I want the Creator of the universe to show up and change me. And so today, are you willing to be stretched? In this Christmas season... Are you willing to be changed and stretched by God to be an instrument of peace in the world around you? Number one, expect God to show up. Number two, expect God to work miraculously this Christmas season. But number three, prepare your hearts to be changed and stretched by God. That's where I'm living. That's where I want to be. And so uh, the band's going to come up and we're going to sing a song. And this is an awesome song that talks about God stretching us and God changing us. But I want to ask you, are you open to God changing you this Christmas season? Do you want to be an instrument of peace and hope to the world around you? I would ask you as we sing to open your hearts. I would ask you to say, God, stretch me. Change me. Make me what you want me to be. Help me to be obedient to you so that I can be an instrument of peace and hope to the world around me. Lord, we thank you for this day and I thank you for the opportunity to worship together.
And Lord, forgive me for when my natural inclination is to think of myself or forgive me when I'm selfish. Forgive me for when I miss what what Christmas is really about. But Lord, we expect you to show up this Christmas season. And we know that when you show up, you work miraculously. But Lord, we have a part in that. And Lord, I pray for each and every person in the sanctuary this morning that you would open our hearts that you would stretch us, that you would change us, that we could have peace with you and then that we could take that peace and be an instrument of peace to the community around us. Lord, we love you and we pray that you would come to us right now and stretch us. In thy name, amen.